This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. And due to the lengths of both shows tonight, I simply have to go to our first show, The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart. In a moment, you'll hear James Stewart as The Six Shooter, just one of many fine programs brought to you each week on NBC. Tomorrow night, there's top comedy entertainment with the Bob Hope Show, the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, and Can You Top This with Senator Ford. Bob Hope delivers rapid-fire comedy routines, while Phil Harris and Alice Faye bring both mirth and music. It's a great Friday night lineup of comedy programs, all of them heard only on NBC. James Stewart as the Six Shooter. saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl, its handle unmarked. People call them both the Six Shooter. The NBC Radio Network presents James Stewart as the Six Shooter. A transcribed series of radio dramas based on the life of Britt Ponsett, the Texas plainsman who wandered through the Western territories, leaving behind a trail of still-remembered legends. four years since last time I worked for the Wilcox outfit, but when George Wilcox wrote me about his pa's death and said he needed somebody to handle the cattle drive east to Abilene, well, I, there weren't exactly any other demands on my services, so I headed up to Adobe Junction and rode through the town to the Wilcox Ranch a couple miles beyond. It was getting on toward evening when I pulled into the yard, and, whoa, boy, whoa, Scar, whoa. Only about eight or ten steers in the main corral over the back of the house. Uh, maybe George hadn't finished the roundup yet, or maybe he was going to start the drive from out on the range. Uh, whatever it was, he'd have to get started pretty soon or the weather would be against us. Good evening, ma'am. Uh, is George Wilcox in? Why, well, Mr. Ponson, 
president. Don't you remember me? I? Uh-huh. I'm Viola Wilcox, George's sister. Viola Wilcox? No, you... Why, I, I just can't believe it. Oh, well, I guess I have changed since you last saw me. Change? Why, gee, well, you practically grown up overnight, Viola. There are some folks around here who wouldn't agree with you, Mr. Ponsett. Oh? Who is it, Vi? It's Mr. Ponsett, George. Brick? Why, Brick, boy, you old rattlesnake. It's about time you turned up here. How are you, George? Pretty good, pretty good. Put on another plate, Vi. Britt will be here for supper. Oh, I wouldn't like to impose. No, I, I mean, you probably weren't expecting me tonight. Why, we've been expecting you for the last week. Vi's had the spare room ready since Monday. Well, if you're sure there's enough food, Vi. Oh, there'll be plenty, Brick. Matter of fact, I won't be eating supper at home tonight. Now, Viola, I told you, you weren't... I'll call you when everything's ready. I guess we might as well wait in the parlor, Britt. Sure. Sure. I hope I'm not too late for the drive, George. Late? Well, you said you've been expecting me for several days, and I, I didn't see much stock in the corral. Oh, the boys are still out on the roundup. They're a little late. I couldn't go out with them this year. Oh, that's all. They'll probably show up sometime tomorrow, a Friday at the latest. You can start off then. You, uh, you won't be going long? No. I'm going to stick around here. Uh-huh. Uh, I was real sorry to hear about your father, George. He went easy, Britt. I'm thankful for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just can't get over how Viola's changed. Why, she's turned out to be a real pretty young lady, hasn't she? I'll bet she's got more bows than any other girl in the whole county. She could have, I guess, if she wanted them. What? Britt, do you remember Judd Coffin? 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 I... He was that outlaw from up around Cloud City. You had something to do with capturing him, as I recollect. Mm, well, I was sort of in the neighborhood when it happened. I was just a kid then, but Pa took me over to Cloud City to see Coffin's trial and the hanging afterward. I guess he figured it'd be a good lesson for me. Uh-huh. He was right, too. I never forgot it. There's something else I never forgot, either. The way Judd Coffin looked. His eyes. His nose. Everything about him. He was born to be a killer. It was writ all over him. No, I don't know now, George. Well, I do. And now he's back here again. Well, what are you talking about? Judd Coffin was hung. You saw it yourself. You just said so, George. Judd had a brother few years younger. I don't remember his name, but I saw him at the trial, too. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, now that you mention it, it seems to me there was another coffin boy. What about him? There's a young fella started working for the mercantile in Adobe Junction, and if he ain't... I'll be right there, Hank. Everything's on the table, George. Just stack the dishes when you finish eating, and I'll do them when I get home. Now, you hold up a minute, Viola. See you later, Britt. Night. Come over here, Britt. Over here to the window. What? There he is in that buggy. Now you take a good look. Well, I... What is now, don't he look just like Judd? Well, it's been quite a while, George. I've sort of forgotten Judd Coffin. Well, I ain't forgot him. I couldn't. Not ever. I can still see him when they led him up to them gallows. I can still see his eyes. Killer's eyes. And that's his brother out there riding away with my sister, ain't it? Well, ain't it? Well, maybe he does sort of resemble Judd in a way, but why... It's more than a resemblance, Britt. I've seen him up close. He's a spitting image. Well, I don't see what difference it makes, George, unless he's been causing trouble, and even then... Britt, 
He's only been around here for a couple of months. Just give him time. He'll cause plenty of trouble. Maybe so, maybe so. But now listen, George. Wait, if a man's got bad blood in him, it's bound to come out sooner or later. It's bound to. George, it seems to me a fellow ought not to be blamed for what his brother's done. If he ain't up to something, then why don't he admit who he is? What do you mean? Says his name's Hank Wallace. Says he never heard of Judd Coffin. Well, he ought to know. He's lying, Brett. You saw the resemblance yourself. Mm, well, resemblance doesn't always prove anything, you know. You think I want a man like that going around with my own sister? Why, she's barely 18. She don't know nothing about the world or about people. I'm all she's got now. I can't let her throw her life away on Judd Coffin's brother. I've got to stop her. Yeah, I guess she is sort of your responsibility. But, uh, say, uh, George, how about that supper? I, I'm kind of hungry. Hey, you go ahead, Brett. I ain't got much appetite. Oh, all right. Brett? Yeah? Maybe this sounds like I'm buttoning into Vi's business, but I got no choice. Just before he died, Pa warned me, told me what would happen. No? Brett, it wasn't six weeks after the funeral before she started going around with this fella. I tried to talk sense to her. Don't do no good. Now I gotta put my foot down. You understand how I feel, don't you, Brett? Yes, George. Sure, I understand. Well, I went ahead and had some supper. Cold ham, potato salad, bacon in it, and stewed peaches for dessert. It wasn't anything exceptional, but it was felon enough. And afterwards, since George hadn't eaten anything, I decided maybe I'd go ahead and do the dishes dishpan was hanging right beside the sink, so I pumped some water in it. There was only a couple plates and cups to wash, but the handle on that cup just wasn't very substantial, and when it slipped, a dog got it. Uh, well, looked like it was beyond the gluing stage, so I kind of got the pieces swept together and put them in the garbage bucket. I wasn't exactly trying to hide them or anything like that, but, well, there were plenty of other cups in the cupboard. Anyhow, I walked back into the parlor and said goodnight to George and went upstairs to bed. I figured he was going to wait up for Viola, and I I didn't suppose she'd like the idea, but it wasn't any of my business, so no. I was kind of tired anyway. And Viola sure didn't like it either. At least that's how it sounded to me when I woke up about one o'clock and heard her and George going at it, hammer and tongs in the downstairs hallway. What I do or where I go. I'm your brother, Viola. Well, you're not my keeper. He's no good. If he was, he wouldn't keep you out until all hours of the night. Staying out was my idea. I didn't want to come home because I knew I'd have to sit here and listen to you. Well, you're going to listen. I told you who he was, but you wouldn't believe me. Now maybe you'll believe Britt. Don't drag him into this, please. Please, George. Britt? Britt, are you still awake? George, I asked you not to. Brett? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, what's the trouble? Would you mind coming down here? Well... It'll only uh, take a minute, Brett. Well, I... Uh, all right, George. All right, give me a chance to put my pants on. I sure didn't like the idea of mixing into a family argument, but I didn't look like I was going to get any sleep till George had simmered down, so I pulled on my trousers and I slapped a little cold water in my face. Then I headed out in the hall. 
I could see Viola standing at the bottom of the stairs, and her, her face was real white, and her eyes were kind of wide open and determined. George was holding onto her arm. The way his jaw was set, well, he just was determined that she was. Well, I do care. It's for your own good, Vi. Well, uh, good evening, Viola. Mr. Ponsett, I'm awful sorry that you have to get involved in this. And I'm ashamed, too. Well, you ought to be. Not for myself. I'm ashamed for you, George. For me? I'm not running around with no outlaw disgracing my family. Britt, you tell her. Tell her who he really is. Now, George, I never saw the man before in my whole life. You noticed the resemblance right off, didn't you? You remarked on it. That man, Judd Coffin's brother, Vi. Is that what you got Mr. Ponsett down here to tell me? Well, ain't that reason enough? No, it's not enough. He's been lying to you, pretending to be somebody else. Don't you care? He hasn't lied to me, George. I know who he is. I've known it since we first met. He told me he was Hunt Coffin. He... He told you? He was afraid folks around here would hold it against him. That's why he changed his name. And it looks to me like he was right. You knew who he was and you went right on seeing him? Can't you understand, George? He's not to blame for something his brother did. They're two different people. The same blood's in him that was in Judd Coffin. And he'll turn mean and pull the same kind of stunt his brother did and he'll end up the same way. Oh, that's crazy why he doesn't even carry a gun. You've seen him often enough. You know he doesn't. He can get a gun easy enough and he will. The very first time he figures he needs one. Mr. Ponsett, won't you talk to George? Maybe you can make him see that I'm not a child, that I know my own mind. Well, it seems to me we've all done enough talking for one night. <laughs> anyway, I... I sure could use a little more sleep. You know, things may look different in the morning. Don't you think so? You know... Mr. Ponsett's right. We'd better go to bed, too. Things won't be any different tomorrow, Vi, not as far as I'm concerned. I'm telling you here and now, you're not to see young Coffin again, ever. I, I'm going to marry him, George. What? I, I wasn't intending to tell you yet. I thought maybe later you'd come around, but I guess you never will. I promised him tonight. Promised him? You don't know what you're saying, Vi. George, let's go. You're just doing this to spite me, ain't you? Well, I'll teach you. I'm in love with him. In love with a man like that? I'll slap those sins into you, but takes me all night. Hey, George. Hey, George, I'll get a hold of your child. You heard what he said, She's going to marry him. Or she'll be singing a different tune before. Now, wait a minute. Will you stay out of this, George? She's my sister. I don't care whose sister she is. Now, let go of her. All right, now, George. Come on. Let's go upstairs. For her own good, Britt, what I'd done. Well, I guess you must have thought it was. Someday she'll realize it was for her own good. She can't marry him, Britt. She just can't. Well, treating her the way you did is apt to make her more set on it than ever. She'll get over that idea fast enough now that she knows I mean business. Someday she'll thank me for slapping her. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get some sleep, George. Come on. Listening to The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart as Britt Ponsett, the Texas plainsman whose name has become legend throughout the West. Now, act two of the story called Blood Relations. <laughs> 
took me a little while to get back to sleep, but I didn't hear anything more out of George or Viola during the night, so that was something. When I finally woke up again, I just didn't feel like I'd had any rest at all. And it was late, too, nearly six o'clock. I got dressed, and I went downstairs. Viola was fixing breakfast. Her eyes were sort of red, and there was a little splotch on her cheek where George had slapped her. But she didn't say anything about it, and I sure didn't see any point in opening up the subject. So, A couple of minutes later, George came in from doing his chores, and we all sat down at the table. He didn't eat much, just some coffee, and as soon as he was finished, he said he was riding out to the high grass to see if the roundup was on its way down. I offered to go along with him, and so we got on our horses and started off. See, Britt, what'd I tell you? Hmm? She's all right now. She got that nonsense about young coffin out of her head. Oh, uh, maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah, uh, she didn't mention him again, did she? Nope. I reckon if she were still thinking about him serious, she'd have said so. Yeah, well. She's a Wilcox, Britt. We don't go around making fools of ourselves. Not for long, anyway. We kept on riding for a couple of hours until we got to the high ground. But we didn't see any signs of the roundup, so finally we turned around and headed back to the ranch house. I don't know what's taking them so long. They should have been down a couple of days ago. Oh? If they don't show up by morning, we'll have to start looking for them. Oh, whatever you say, George. Uh, here we are. Whoa, Frenchie, whoa, boy, whoa, whoa. Hey, you know something, Britt? I've got kind of an appetite. Oh, I don't doubt it, the way you've been eating lately. Easy, Scar. Easy. Well, I'll sure make up for it this noon. I wonder what she's fixed for us. Vi? We're back, Vi. Hmm. Must be out in the kitchen. That's funny. Vi? Just a minute, George. Oh, she's upstairs. That's why she didn't hear me. How about some food, Vi? I didn't know you'd be here. You, you didn't say anything when you left. I'm usually here for dinner, ain't I? Yeah. Well, it'll take a couple of minutes to get something ready. I I just got back from town. You what? Well, I guess I'll go wash up. What were you doing in town, Vi? I wanted to see Hunt. Oh. Well, I suppose you did have to explain things to him. I guess he was entitled to that much. How'd he take it? Hmm? And you told him you couldn't marry him. I didn't tell him that, George. We're going to get married as soon as we can. He's coming to get me tonight. Well, I sure didn't feel like sticking around for another one of their arguments. So I sort of sneaked out the front door and climbed into the saddle. Let's go, boy. Come on. Let's go. I figured I'd ride in town and get me something to eat while I was at it. Maybe while I was gone, George and Viola had come to some sort of an understanding. At least I hoped they would. It took me about 30 minutes to reach Adobe Junction. Hmm. Looked like there was only one cafe. Molly's Home Cooked Meal. Uh, right next door to the mercantile. Whoa, boy. Whoa. Whoa, Scott. Whoa. Tossed the reins over a hitching rail and started into the restaurant. Mr. Ponsett? Hmm? You're, uh, 
You're Britt Ponson, ain't you? That's right. Viola told me what you looked like, but I'd have recognized you anyway. Oh? You're, um, you're a six-shooter. I've heard a lot about that gun. How fast you are with it. My brother, uh, well, he found out firsthand. Your brother? Judd Coffin. I see. My name is Hunt Coffin, Mr. Ponsett. Yeah, I sort of figured that. I, uh, just wanted you to know I sure do appreciate what you did last night, taking Viola's part with George. While George was pretty upset, I don't think he meant to carry on that way. He's real fond of his sister when you get right down to it. If he ever hits her again, I'll kill him. Well, I guess you and Viola won't have to worry much about George any longer. What do you mean? Well, she says you're going to get married right away. You're coming out after her tonight, is that right? She told you that? Well, sure. That's true, isn't it? Oh, I didn't want him to know. He'll try to stop us. I told her not to say anything. We could have been gone before he ever found out. Now, Viola's not the kind of a person to do a thing behind anybody's back. Yeah. Well, maybe there's something else he ought to know. I bought me a gun this morning, Mr. Ponsett. Is that so? I'll be out at the Wilcox place as soon as I get off work tonight. And I'll have the gun with me. Huh? And George said you'd get a gun the first time you figured you needed one. Well, he was right. Yeah. It sure looks like he was. Well, so long, Coffin. Thunder happened to you, Britt. Oh, I thought maybe you and Viola ought to have a chance to talk this out in private, so I rode in town. You needn't have bothered. Huh? I tried to talk to her, but she just wouldn't listen. She wouldn't, huh? I don't know what to do, Britt. I just don't. After last night, I thought she'd see things my way. I guess you were right. She's more set in marrying him now than ever. If Paul was still alive, he'd find some way of stopping her. I guess I'm letting him down. Well, where's Vi now? Upstairs, packing. I thought about locking her in her room, but... It just wouldn't do no good. Besides, she ain't to blame, not really. That's right, George. A person just can't it's help his it. fault. Everything that's happened. And it's him I'm going to take care of. As a matter of fact, I ran into Hunt Coffin while I was in town. You saw him? Yeah, yeah, we had a little chat. He, uh... He's kind of upset about what happened last night. He's upset. He'll have something to get upset about if he comes around here tonight. Well, maybe you ought to know, George. He's got himself a gun. There. What'd I tell you? Just like his brother. Why? Why, your friend's coming out here with a gun. He needs to kill me. A man who'll take up a gun once, he won't stop. Not as long as he lives. Now what do you think of him? Viola didn't answer George. She just stayed upstairs and went on with whatever she was doing. George walked into the hall. I heard him rummaging around in the closet. He was gone for a minute or so, and then he came back into the parlor. He was carrying his paw's old Winchester rifle. He jammed some cartridges into the magazine and stared out of the window. 
The sun was just beginning to drop behind the hills to the west, and the shadows on the slopes were turning orange. And George pulled up a chair and sat down. The rifle was lying on his lap, the barrel pointing toward the open window beside him. George? Yeah? You use that gun, you'll be doing the very thing you accuse him of. Ah, there's a difference, Britt. This is my property. Pa left it to me outright. Sure. If Hunt Coffin sets foot on it, he's trespassing. I got a right to shoot a trespasser, ain't I? No, you haven't. Not under these circumstances. You gonna interfere? You gonna take his side? I'm not taking anybody's side. I'm riding into town. I won't be back. You have to hire somebody else to handle your cattle drive. Suits me. I'll be able to handle the cattle myself now. I won't have to stay here after tonight. You know, George, he might kill you. Leastwise, if he takes after his brother, there's a good chance of it. Well, it looks like you're going to be around for it, whatever happens. What? There he is now, pulling into the yard. Coffin! Get out of here, Coffin! I don't want no trouble, Wilcox. Well, then start moving. I'm taking Viola with me. You're not taking anybody! I could see Hunt Coffin through the window over George's shoulder. He was climbing down from his buggy. Looked like he was carrying a forty-four in his holster. George Wilcox stood up. His back shut off my view of Hunt. He shoved the stock of his rifle against his shoulder and his finger curled around the trigger. He shifted his weight onto one foot and I got a glimpse of Hunt again. His right hand was inching toward that forty-four, but he hadn't pulled it out yet. I'm coming in and get her, Wilcox. Go on and draw. I know you got a gun. Go on, use it. I don't think I'll need it. I gave him a chance. You heard me pretty well. There wasn't much time to answer him. His finger was already squeezing back. There wasn't even time to get over to him. I grabbed for my gun. The bullet hit him right in the arm, spun him half around. For a second, I didn't know what had happened. I I hadn't fired at him. I hadn't even had a chance to finish drawing. Uh, And then I saw a little spiral of smoke on the hall stairs behind him. Viola. Put down that rifle, George. You're crazy, Vi. Vi! Are you all right? Stay there, hon. I'll be right out. Put it down, George. Now, I'm going away with Hunt. And if you come after me, it won't be Hunt who will stop you. It's kind of funny, isn't it? You always said Hunt would turn out bad because his brother was that way. And they both had the same blood in them. What about it, George? Would you be willing to shoot me? What are you talking about, Vi? You know I'd never do a thing like that. Why not? I was willing to shoot you. We've got the same blood, haven't we? Goodbye, George. Goodbye, Mr. Ponson. So long, bye. Good luck. Up, boy. Up. She... She wasn't making any sense, Britt, asking if I'd shoot her. Why, that's just plain foolishness. Yeah, yeah, well, I'll take you into town, George. You better see the doc about that arm. My own sister. 
My own flesh and blood. I sure had her figured wrong. Well, maybe you had young Coffin figured wrong, too. Come on, let's go. Well, the next morning, the boys brought in George's herd, and what with that arm of his and all, I agreed to drive them north. It was nearly three months before I got back to Adobe Junction again. Viola and Hunt there were married and had a little house in town. But George, he hadn't been there. He hadn't said a word to Vi since that night she left the ranch. Vi was kind of upset about it, but she kept telling herself that sooner or later George would see where he'd been wrong and he'd come around. I don't know. Maybe he will. Maybe he will. Shooter is a transcribed NBC Radio Network production in association with Review Productions. It is written by Frank Burt and is based on a character created by him. Mr. Stewart may currently be seen in the Universal International picture, The Glenn Miller Story. Others in the cast were Barbara Eiler, Herb Ellis, and Sam Edwards. Special music for this program was by Basil Adlam, and the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. All characters and incidents were fictitious, and any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. Oh, by the way, you'll be interested in knowing that the sick shooter has been chosen for broadcast to our men overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Services. This is John Wall speaking. Stay tuned for Duffy's Tavern next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to see what harebrained scheme Archie the bartender will come up with tonight. Well, since the show title is Surplus Helicopter, it's bound to be a dandy. Black Milwaukee's finest beer brings you transcribed Duffy's Tavern, starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. Duffy's Tavern, where the elite meets eat and drink Blatt's beer. Archie, your mind you're speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. What's cooking? Uh, nothing. <laughs> the chef just quit. <laughs> uh, no, the hours was okay, and the pay was okay. <laughs> it was just cooking. <laughs> he couldn't stand it. <laughs> What'll our customers do if we don't serve some food? Do the same as when we serve food. <laughs> They'll eat someplace else. Besides, there's only a few customers in the joint. Well, Herbie the Midget's here. Yeah, just got out of the hospital. Poor little guy. Spent two whole weeks in an oxygen symbol. <laughs> what was his trouble? Uh, he had uh, kidney pebbles. <laughs> And guess who else is back from the hospital? Sailor Slavinsky. Well, you remember that $100 bill he had tattooed on his chest? He was robbed. <laughs> huh? No, just a flesh wound. <laughs> but the joke was on the crook. <laughs> the tattoo was counterfeit. 
That reminds me, Slippery McGuire's coming down tonight. Huh? It's all because he sold you that vanishing cream for Mrs. Duffy? <laughs> but Duffy, he didn't guarantee to make a vanish permanent. <laughs> okay, so he's a phony. But he's my pal. And I will brook no insults on his behalf. Good day, sir. Eddie. Yes, sir, Mr. Archie? Eddie, Slippery McGuire's coming down here tonight, so... Leave us lay out the welcome mat for him, huh? We can't do it. Why not? He swiped it the last time he was here. <laughs> well, that's all in the past, Eddie. Slippery's gone straight. After all, a leopard can change his spots, can he? Well, if he does, it'll be for stripes. <laughs> hmm. Just a second. I'll have you know that Slippery McGuire and me has been pals ever since our school days. Hmm. We Some been... pals. Every time that crook comes down here, he swindles you out of your money, and you wind up calling him a dirty, thieving crook. Well, that's true friendship. <laughs> the guy must think an awful lot of me to put up with it. <laughs> you know, Slippery McGuire and me has been pals ever since our school days. We was in PS4 together. Is that so? Yeah, he was even treasurer of our graduating class. You mean you graduated with Slippery? Uh, Miss Duffy, yes. As a matter of fact, there was no graduation that year. The cap and gown money disappeared. He started kind of young, didn't he? Yeah, and it was quite a blow to Slippery's father, one of the finest men I've ever met. But it wasn't his fault he couldn't guide Slippery in the right direction. How come? He could only see him on visiting days. <laughs> A chip off the old cell block, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about his mother? Mrs. McGuire, sweet old lady, but she could never learn to refuse slippery nothing. You know, she spoiled him. He'd come in and say, Mom, I need a five-dollar bill. She'd go right down the cellar and print one. <laughs> yeah, it was like that till the day they... The day they shaved her legs. <laughs> Yeah? Poor Slip has been through plenty. He's been through you a few times. Maybe so, but Slip has put his past behind him. He's now in a legitimate business selling war surplus. Like what? Oh, pistols, uh, shoes, flashlights, uh, refrigerators. Refrigerators? Uh, war surplus? The Cold War. Oh. <laughs> You know, Eddie, I, I'd like to throw some business slippery's way. You might think I'm going hog wild, but you know what I'm going to buy? For what? An airplane. <laughs> An airplane? Yeah. You know, I've always wanted to fly. Well, have you ever considered a kite? <laughs> Don't belittle me, Eddie. The Army's always getting rid of secondhand planes, and maybe Slippery can get me one. Imagine me own airplane, a B-29 or a PBX, you know. <laughs> Flying up there in the clouds. Uh, I wonder what it's like. <laughs> you an aviator. What's so funny? Oh, well, you get dizzy when you eat a three-decker sandwich. <laughs> I bet even I could fly better than you. You could fly. Miss Stuffy, I'm talking about airplanes. <laughs> Not... Halloween night on a broom. 
Listen, it so happens that the best pilots in history have been women. Oh, yeah? Name one. Cobina Wright. <laughs> Cobina Wright, a, a pilot? Only the most important of the Wright brothers. Well, okay, him. But, uh... <laughs> but that's just one. Don't try to tell me nothing about aviation. You're talking to Archie the Ace. <laughs> I got air in me veins. Oh, yeah? Then how come you black out every time you lick an airmail stamp? <laughs> Besides, what kind of a junky crate is Slippery McGuire going to palm off on you, Archie? It ain't no junk. It's a genuine army surplus. I know. That crook sold Mama a surplus girdle that split the first time she wore it. Well, don't blame the girdle just because your old lady has so much surplus. Archie, why do you always have to say such nasty things behind Mama's back? Well, it offers such a broad field of operation. Oh, you, you never have a good word for anybody. On the contrary, I have five good words for you. Hit the road. That's only three. <laughs> The rest ain't hard to figure. Ah, uh, make a noise like a hoop and roll away. <laughs> Say, Mr. Archie. What is it, Eddie? Your friend Slippery McGuire is here. How do you know? I just reached into my pocket and found myself shaking hands with him. <laughs> Wait, Daddy, quiet, you old embarrassed. Well, Archie, my old pal. Well, Slippery, my old buddy. My old schoolmate. My old sidekick. The next voice you hear will be that of the old prosecuting attorney. Daddy, cut out the rejoinder. Well, Slip, it's great to see you. I guess you've been working hard. Well, uh, not too hard, Arch. I like to take things easy. <laughs> Yeah, you do it that, and yet you're a success. How do you do it, Slip? What's your point? Ah, very simple, Arch. Hear no evil, speak no evil, and keep moving. <laughs> Still the same old Slip. <laughs> you know, I missed you lately. You must have been away, huh? Oh, only for 30 days. Uh -huh. What was you doing? 30 days. I mean, uh, uh, I've been uh, putting in some time for the government. You know, uh... Working on his surplus army stuff. Oh, yeah. I've been yeah. meaning to ask you, Slip. Ain't it a little late to be selling army surplus? Arch, come in. This is surplus army surplus. <laughs> You're right on a ball, ain't you, Slip? Oh, sure, Arch. I'm only selling things that people can use in practical everyday life. Yeah, practical everyday Yeah. Like yeah. what? Bro? Well, like uh, landing barges... Steam shovels, Quonset huts, anchors, rip cords, parachutes. Just a second. What's practical about a rip cord? What else are you selling? Well, uh, let's put it this way, Arch. What do you need? Well, I don't really need nothing, but I was kind of toying with the idea. 
silly's the same. Go ahead, tell your old pal. Nah, too absurd. What is it, Art? I was thinking of an airplane. <laughs> a fighter or a bomber? Clint, you mean there's a chance? Look, Art, uh, how much have you got to spend? Well, not very much, just 14 bucks. 14 bucks? For that, I wouldn't sell a plane to my own brother. Mm, well, that's all I got. Brother, you bought yourself a plane. <laughs> of course, uh, for that price, it won't be a four-motor job. No, four motors. No. Uh, well, how about one of them, uh, them uh, helium copters? Oh, well, that's a cinch. Just give me the 14 bucks and I'll go get it out of stock before somebody else grabs it. Okay, hey, I slipped good luck and happy landing. Roger. Wilco. Aren't you taking to it like a duck to water? <laughs> See you later, you ace you. Go <laughs> on. So long, Slip. Oh, boy. Hey, Eddie. Yeah? Eddie, guess what? Slip is going to get me one of them helium copters. A what? One of them airplanes you can land on a dime. Three to one that Slippery don't leave you a dime to land it on. Oh, no. Eddie, Eddie, I can see myself right now. Hmm? Me hand froze to the controls. Coming in for a graceful crash landing. All of a sudden, I get a flash on the radio. Stand by for ceiling zero. Lord. Oh, hello, Finnegan. Hey, Finnegan, maybe you'd be interested in my new project. Uh, do you like flying? Uh, no, not me. Why not? My arms get tired. I mean, it's Slippery McGuire was just here, and he's in the Army surplus business. Uh, ah, it's out of his mind. Why? Who's going to buy a surplus army? <laughs> uh, hey, did, did you buy anything from him? Yeah, I bought an airplane. No fooling. What kind? Well, uh, you know what a helium copter is? Sure, a guy who cops helium. Well, not exactly. No? It's an aeroplane. Oh, and oh. terrific. It can go straight up in the air, straight down, sideways, frontwards, backwards, you know, ambidextrous. <laughs> and in fact, it can do everything that a bird can do. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'd like to see it either one. I think you've got a nice, clean air pocket where your head should be. Uh, thanks, Doc. I've always considered myself air miner. Uh, so have I. But there's uh, uh, only one thing I can't understand. What's that? Uh, what holds an airplane up in the air? Well, uh, that's, uh, that's the thing I'll have to explain to you. You know, uh -huh. it's uh, one of the basic laws of physics. Uh, for instance, you take air, that's uh, H2O. It's much heavier than water. Now, on the other hand, uh, metal is a conductor which conducts the oxygen through the hydrogen, uh, which creates a vacuum which gives us gravity. 
Which, in turn, naturally pulls the plane up into the air. Is it clear so far? Sarge, what am I, a dope? No, but even I had a little trouble with it at first. Well, uh, to go on, uh, you see, if we take the stratosphere... Uh, what's that? Well, it's what it sounds like. Uh, it's, uh, it's a fear of high places. Oh, stratosphere. <laughs> now, in order to fly a straight line, the navigator checks the ground speed against the plane speed, which is, shall we assume, uh, 200 Fahrenheit an hour? <laughs> Oh, that sounds like a lot of Fahrenheit. Well, don't forget, we've come a long way since the days when we had to land a plane by hand. <laughs> Today we have automatic horsepower, frequency modulation, wing spreads as high as uh, 39 RPM, automatic tail fins uh, in case the rudder goes on the plane. Uh, you know what used to happen in the old days when the rudder went on a blink? The car didn't give no milk. <laughs> Are you sure this whole conversation ain't been too mechanical for you? <laughs> no, not at all. By the way, how chances for a job on your point? Well, I don't know. You think you're right for the air? As right as I am for the land. <laughs> oh, come on now. Give me a break. I could help run your aeroplane. Uh, you know, my Uncle Pierre was a famous flyer. Your Uncle Pierre? Well, yeah. He was the first guy to try to cross the channel in a balloon. And Arch, uh, guess what he used for ballast? What? A case of Blatt's beer. Uh, yeah. A very tasty ballast. Yeah. Uh, did he have any trouble getting a balloon across the channel? Uh, well, it would have been a perfect crossing, but for one thing. What was that? He never got the balloon off the ground. <laughs> Why not? He just couldn't bring himself to throw that ballast overboard. <laughs> well, with a wonderful beer like Blanche, you can hardly blame the guy. But uh, tell me, Finnegan, uh, didn't that balloon ever get up in the air? Oh, yeah, one time, much. My uncle took the black out of the balloon and it sailed way up in the air. 5,000 feet, 10,000, 20,000, 40,000, 50,000, 40,000. Back to 40,000? Air pocket. <laughs> yeah. And then up to 50,000 feet, 100,000 feet. Wait a minute, Finnegan. Nobody could live at 100,000 feet. The, the very words my uncle said as he sat there on the ground, sipping his glass. <laughs> you know, your uncle was a very smart guy. <laughs> well, that's uh, back. You're back. Limp, huh? Uh, well, uh, tell me, where's me helium? Hey, shopping? look, Arch, we've hit a little snag here. The Army's getting a little sticky about their aeroplanes. Yeah, huh? We'll have to clear this deal through Washington. <laughs> Who in Washington? Come here, Arch. Nobody listening? No. Can I trust you? Thank you. The man I'm talking about is you-know-who. No, kidding. 
You're a whole... Arch, please don't mention names. <laughs> yes, sir, we're taking this right up to the top. Give me the phone. Here you are, what? Thanks. Hello. Hello, operator. Washington, D.C., please. Hello, Arch. <laughs> this is Slip. Oh, Cat Trigby, Lee himself. <laughs> Hey, look, Dean, I got something for you to clear through, uh, you know who. Yeah, a buddy of mine wants to buy a helicopter. Yeah, something in the 10 to $15 bracket. <laughs> in the bag swirl, Dean. Well, uh, give my regards to the gang on Pennsylvania Avenue. Oh, by the way, uh, tell Harry I'm still trying to get that Spike Jones record of the Missouri Walk, will you? <laughs> So long, Dean. Ah, you're all set. You got yourself an airplane. Oh, gee, thanks. Boy, I can hardly wait till I take me first spin in that helium car. Your first spin? Just a minute, I... You won't be able to take that plane up in the air. Why not? No propeller. <laughs> what? Arch, did you ever hear of anybody buying an airplane with a propeller for $14? No. Well, then, let's be reasonable. <laughs> okay, how much more for the propeller? One dollar. <laughs> I ain't got a dollar. <clears throat> All I got is this uh, lucky piece here, Slip, if you're willing to take it. It's just, just a Chinese coin. Chinese coin. Uh, uh, what's it worth? 200,000 yen. What's that in American money? Half a buck. <laughs> Well, uh, let's see what it says here in the catalog. Let's see. Helicopter, $14. Helicopter landing gear, $12. Oh, here it is. Helicopter propeller, 200,000 yen. <laughs> Boy, I was right on a button, huh? Uh, this is your lucky day, Arch. And now that I got the final okay from you-know-who, I'll arrange immediate delivery. And here's your official handbook of flying instructions. With the personal autograph of Gregory Peck. The greatest flyer of them all. Well, so long, Art. See you in the cockpit. So long, Slip. Boy, Eddie, you know, this is wonderful. I can see myself already. Whizzing across the continent, transatlantic flights across the Pacific. Can you imagine it? Breakfast in Duffy's Tavern. Two hours later, lunch at the Miami Biltmore in Chicago. Ten hours later, supper at the Hollywood Bowl. Well, what held you up between Chicago and Hollywood? Well, I had to stop. I needed gas. Not if you had breakfast at Duffy's Tavern. <laughs> I don't see the connection. Well, that's where we're all set. Oh, Slip, hey, I forgot to ask you, where am I going to keep this helium copter? In a hangar, of course. A hangar? Where am I going to get a hangar? Well, uh... Don't you know anybody that uh, might sell you one? Oh. Flip. <laughs> hey, maybe you could, huh? Uh, don't you think this is carrying friendship a little too far? Yeah. Although it just so happens I do have a few hangers in stock. You do? Yeah. Flip, could you, could you spare me just one? Well, You uh, know, just for old time's sake. Oh, uh, what's the use, Arch? You always get around me. <laughs> I'm too soft-hearted for my own good. Uh, how much do you got left? Well, I'm broke, dear. You know, you took me last 14 bucks. Well, that was your money. How about the cash register? Look, are you suggesting arson? 
<laughs> That's Duffy's money. So what? An airplane hanging right here on his roof will mean more business for Duffy, won't it? <laughs> Hello? Duffy's Tavern, Eddie the ground crew speaking. <laughs> oh, hello, Mr. Duffy. Huh? Mr. Archie? You mean Archie the pilot? He's busy dipping his wings in the cash register. <laughs> How much is this hanging? Right? Well, let's see the catalog here. Lift price, June, that's $7. Well, that's okay. I got $10 here. $10? Oh. <laughs> well, that's June. Let's see. July, $8. August, $9. Uh, Arch, what month is it? September. That'll make it even $10. <laughs> yes, sir. And to show you what a good fellow I am, with the hanger, I'm going to throw in a windsock. Well, thanks, Slip. I, I wear a size 12. I'll make a note of that. Well, Art, one more meeting with our contact, you know who, and we'll have you up in the air. I'll be right back with the plan. Hey, Art, Slip, two bucks. Well, okay, Art, and here's your wings. You know who insisted that I give them to you at the wholesale price. Yeah. Now, Art, you're all set. I'll be right back with the plane. Here you are, Slip. Two and a quarter. <laughs> and here you are, Art. Your genuine never-leak parachute. Together with a box of emergency tire patches. Gee. Well, Art, it looks like you're all set. I'll be right back with the plane. Seventy-five, eighty-five, ninety cents. <laughs> Here it is, Slip. Okay, Arch, and here's your non-skid white wall retractable landing gear. <laughs> Gee, well, Slip, when do I get me plane? Yep, yep, just as soon as I get final clearance from uh, you know who. <laughs> Slip. It's empty. <laughs> empty, huh? Well, uh, never mind that, Arch. I got great news for you. Congratulations. For what? I've just been in conference with the you-know-who, and you-know-what? Who? <laughs> who? Uh, I mean, what? <laughs> Hold on to your hat, kid. He's coming down here tonight to install the hangar in places. In places? What an honor, huh? Exactly. And naturally, before he puts in the hangar, he'll want to look over your pilot's license. Your pilot's license? Yeah, that's just a formality, of course. But I ain't got no pilot's license. No pilot's license? No. This is a fine time to tell me that. Is it serious? Oh, what have we got ourselves into? Do you know what the fine is for operating a plane in a hangar without a license? How much? $29.15. But this is terrible. Can't, can't you fix it with the you-know-who? Well, now, look, that depends. But where am I going to get $29.15? Uh, let me see. How about the dough I gave you for the plane and the hangar and the parachute and stuff? How much was that? 
$29.15. By George, that's quick thinking, Arch. <laughs> I'll take it right over to you-know-who. So long, little pal. So long. Left hand. Thanks a million. Gee, Eddie, I, I, I don't want to do without me, old pal. Slippery? Say, Archie. Oh, hello, Officer Clancy. You look kind of tired. What you been doing? I've been looking for a swindler who's been operating on 3rd Avenue. Oh, yeah? What's his name? You know who. Five is two. Carry the three G's and add four. What you doing, Miss Duffy? I'm subtracting twenty nine fifteen from your weekly salary. What's so tough about that? Did you ever try to subtract twenty nine dollars and fifteen cents from fifteen dollars? <laughs> and all because you had that crazy idea about being a great flyer. Yeah, and I didn't even come close. Well, don't feel too bad. After all, you did succeed in making an ace of yourself. Don't try to cheer me up, Miss Duffy What really burns me up is that I Had my heart set on Taking a plane trip to Milwaukee Well, maybe you can't go to Milwaukee But we can bring Milwaukee to you How do you mean? Here, have a black spear ah. Thanks, Miss Duffy You know, I I guess you could travel everywhere And never find a better or more refreshing beard than black <laughs> Right you are, Archie so right that if you took a palate preference poll of the people in Milwaukee or in the state of Wisconsin, you'd find the majority, and I mean the great majority, would agree with you. Yes, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the premium beer capital of America, the brewing center of the USA, the home of our finest beers, Blatt, B-L-A-T-Z, is the largest selling beer and by a great and growing margin. Friends, you don't have to come from Milwaukee to appreciate Blatt. Try Blatt's tomorrow. Compare it with any beer at any price. Your own good taste will tell you what folks in Milwaukee have known for almost 100 years. That Blatt, B-L-A-T-Z, Blatt is Milwaukee's finest beer. And I ought to know It's the same old story Wherever you go This is the tune you will always hear Glass is Milwaukee's finest beer Be sure to listen next week at the same time to Duffy's Tavern Transcribed over most of these same stations Thank you for listening I hope you'll be with me next week As I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.